0: It is that season, once again, the snow is flying, the decorations are on the trees, and that means it is Christmas time. And thanks for joining us here on the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm Adam McNutt, alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison.
1: All right, Adam, and I will have to tell you that one of my greatest consolations when the snow does fly is that it heralds in the Christmas season. Yes. And for the next two podcasts, we will have somewhat of a focus on that. Um, and today we're talking about Christmas reflections on promises made in the scriptures. For the most part, we're just going to let the scriptures, uh, speak for themselves and just hope that this is an encouraging soundtrack, uh, as you're planning, um, I don't know if you're shopping or if you're wrapping presents or whatever you're doing, but we hope to be a good companion to you today as you do that. All right, um. First, we'll start out with Adam, with our quote of the day.
0: And this comes from God's word here, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel.
1: All right. And I chose this verse um, because it really points us in the right direction for today. Because we're talking about um, verses that talk about the promise of a savior. And it's because of the Savior that Speaking for Him exists. The hymn that we're referring to uh, when we uh, address this as the Speaking for Him podcast is, of course, Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're here celebrating today. And so I just wanted to bring that out. And then a couple more uh, verses um, about Old Testament prophecies relating to Jesus. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, um, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. And then a couple chapters later, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the prince of peace, of his increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order an establishment with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And of course, this refers to the fact that when David was king, he was told that his kingdom would be established forever. And so in order for that to be the case, uh, Jesus had to come through the line of David. And we will refer to that in a a later reading. But right now, my mom has a special Christmas story for us. $1.87,
2: that was all. And 60 cents of it was in pennies. Pennies saved, one and two at a time, by bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man and the butcher until one's cheeks burned with the silent imputation of parsimony that such close dealing implied. Three times Della counted it, $1.87, and the next day would be Christmas. There was clearly nothing left to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl. So Della did it which instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles, with sniffles predominating. While the mistress of the home is gradually subsiding from the first stage to the second, take a look at the home, a furnished flat at $8 per week. It did not exactly beggar description, but it certainly had that word on the lookout for the Medi... Medicancy. It did not exactly beggar description, but it certainly had that word on the lookout for the Medicancy squad. In the vestibule below was a letter box into which no letter would go, and an electric button from which no mortal finger could coax a ring. Also appertaining thereunto was a card bearing the name Mr. James Dillingham Young. The Dillingham had been flung to the breeze during a former period of prosperity when its possessor was being paid $30 per week. Now when the income was shrunk to 20 the letters of Dillingham looked blurred as though they were thinking seriously of contracting to a modest and unassuming D. But whenever Mr. James Dillingham Young came home and reached his flat above, he was called Jim, and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dillingham Young, Already introduced to you as Della, which is all very good. Della finished her cry and attended to her cheeks with the powder rag. She stood by the window and looked out dully at a gray cat walking a gray fence in a gray backyard. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only a dollar and eighty seven cents with which to buy Jim a present. She had been saving every penny she could for months with this result. Twenty dollars a week doesn't go far. Expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Only a dollar eighty seven to buy a present for her, Jim. Many a happy hour she had spent planning for something nice for him something fine and rare and sterling, something just a little bit near to being worthy of the honor of being owned by Jim. There was a pier glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you've seen a pier glass in an eight-dollar flat. A very thin and very agile person may, by observing his reflection in a rapid sequence of longitudinal strips, obtain a fairly accurate conception of his looks. Della, being slender, had mastered the art. Suddenly she whirled from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brilliantly, but her face had lost its color within twenty seconds. Rapidly she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Now there are two possessions of the James Dillingham Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's. The other was Della's hair. Had the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat across the air shaft, Della would have let her hair hang out of the window some days to dry just to depreciate Her Majesty's jewels and gifts. Had King Solomon been the janitor with all his treasures piled in the basement, Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed just to see him pluck at his beard from envy. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee and made itself almost a garment for her. Then she did it up again nervously and quickly. Once she faltered for a minute and stood still while a tear or two splashed on the worn red carpet. On went her old brown jacket. On went her old brown hat. With a whirl of skirts and with a brilliant sparkle still in her eyes, she cluttered out of the door and down the stairs to the street. Where she stopped, the sign read, Madame Sophrony, hair goods of all kinds. One-eight. Up Della ran, collected herself panting. Madame large, too white, chilly, hardly looked so fronny. "'Will you buy my hair?' asked Della. "'I buy hair,' said Madame. "'Take your hat off. Let's have a sight of the looks of it.' Down rippled the brown cascade. Twenty dollars,' said Madame, lifting the mass with a practiced hand. "'Give it to me quick,' said Della. "'Oh, and the next two hours tripped by on rosy wings.' Forget the hashed metaphor. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the stores, and she had turned all of them inside out. It was a platinum fob chain, simple and chaste in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should do. It was even worthy of the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that it must be Jim's. It was like him quietness and value. The description applied to both. Twenty-one dollars they took for it. She hurried home with the eighty-seven cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grand as the watch was, he sometimes looked at it on the sly on account of old leather strap he used in place of a chain. When Della reached home, her intoxication gave way a little to prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and lighted the gas and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love, which is always a tremendous task, dear friends, a mammoth task. Within forty minutes, her head was covered with tiny, close-laying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She looked at her reflection in the mirror long, carefully, and critically. If Jim doesn't kill me, she said to herself, before he takes a second look at me, he'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do? Oh, what could I do with only a dollar and eighty-seven cents? At seven o'clock the coffee was made and the frying pan was on the back of the stove hot and ready to cook the chops. Jim was never late. Della doubled the fob chain in her hand and sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. Then she heard his step on the stair way down on the first flight and she turned white for just a moment. She had a habit of saying little silent prayers about the simplest everyday things. Now she whispered, Please, God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened, and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and very serious. Poor fellow, he was only twenty-two, and to be burdened with a family. He needed a new overcoat, and he was without gloves. Jim stepped inside the door, as immovable as a setter, on the scent of quail. His eyes were fixed upon Della, and there was an expression in them she could not read, and it terrified her was not anger, nor surprise, nor disapproval, nor horror, nor any of the sentiments that she had been prepared for. He simply stared at her fixedly with that peculiar expression on his face. Della wriggled off the table and went for him. Jim, darling, she cried, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold it because I couldn't have lived through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow it again. You won't mind, will you? I just had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I've got for you. You've cut off your hair, asked Jim laboriously, as if he had not arrived at the patent fact yet, even after the hardest mental labor. Cut it off and sold it, Della. Don't you like me just as well anyhow? I'm me without my hair, ain't I? Jim looked about the room curiously. "'You say your hair is gone,' he said, with an air almost of idiocy. "'You needn't look for it,' said Della. "'It's sold, I tell you. Sold and gone, too. "'It's Christmas Eve, boy, be good to me, for it went for you.' "'Maybe the hairs of my head were numbered,' she went on with a serious sweetness. "'But nobody could ever count my love for you. "'Shall I put the chops on, Jim?' Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to awake. He unfolded his Della. For ten seconds, let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. Eight dollars a week or a million a year, what is the difference? A mathematician or a wit would give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. This dark assertion will be illuminated later on. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and threw it upon the table. Don't make any mistake, Dell," he said, about me. I don't think there's anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that could make me like my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap the package, you may see why you had me going a while at first. White fingers and nimble tore at the string and paper, and then an ecstatic scream of joy, and alas... A quick feminine change to hysterical tears and wails necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the lord of the flat. For there lay the combs, the set of combs side and back that Della had worshipped for long in a Broadway window beautiful combs, pure tortoise shell combs, with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in the beautiful vanished hair. They were expensive combs, she knew, and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession. Now they were hers, but the tresses that should have adorned the coveted ornaments were gone. She hugged them to her bosom, and at length she was able to look with dim eyes and a smile and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. Then Della leaped up like a little singed cat and cried, Oh, oh! Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. She held it out to him eagerly upon her open palm. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it a dandy, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how it looks on it. "'Instead of obeying, Jim tumbled down on the couch "'and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. "'Dell,' said he, "'let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them for a while. "'They're too nice to use just at present. "'I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs, "'and now I suppose you should put the chops on.' "'The Magi, as you know, were wise men, "'wonderfully wise men, "'who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. "'They invented the art of giving Christmas presents.' Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts such as they are wisest. Everywhere, they are wisest. They are the Magi.
1: All right, thank you, Mom. That is The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. And Now we have a reading from the book of Matthew from Adam McNutt.
0: Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us.
1: And that is Matthew one 18 to 18-23, and we'll follow that up with Mark 1, 1-3, which is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And now my sister Charity is going to share with us uh, the hymn story of one of um, the, the great hymns of the faith for Christmas time, and that is O Come All Ye Faithful.
3: O Come All Ye Faithful was originally known as Adeste Fidelis because it was first written and sung in Latin before being translated into English. The Latin version remains popular and is sometimes still recorded today. Englishman John Francis Wade and his friend John Redding decided to go together to write a song based on the Bible passage Luke 2, 15-16, which says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said on to one another let us go to Beth let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph the baby so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger after John Francis Wade composed the music and John Redding wrote the lyrics, Adeste Fidelis was published in 1751 as part of the collection of hymns called Cantus Diversi. Much later, in 1841, Frederick Oakley translated the Latin words of Adeste Fidelis into English version that people often sing today, changing the name of the song to O Come All Ye Faith.
1: Thank you, Charity, and as that song fades into the background, we just want to give you a couple more passages of scripture, and I am going to start with Luke one twenty-two to 22-36. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, let it be unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And that's Luke to 36 And then we have one final reading, once again from Adam.
0: This comes from John 1, verses 1-4. through
1: In the beginning was the Word,
0: and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made.
1: In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Today, um, as we bring in our Christmas celebration, which will continue next week, with Promises Fulfilled, uh, we are thinking about, the coming of God to earth. He came as a baby, but the ultimate end of him was to go to the cross for our sins. My prayer is that you have not, if you have not yet trusted him as your Lord and Savior, that you would do so today. If you need help in this important decision, don't hesitate to contact us using the info at the end of the show. We'll see you next week for more Christmas Reflections, but until then... Have a great day, and keep serving the best of masters.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show, and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four,